This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 564 of the Eventing Radio Show, brought to you by the Event Rider Association of North America. This week, we speak to Graham Tom, High Performance Manager of New Zealand, and Kat Hill, who is going to talk to us about clipping and blanketing. This is Joe coming from beautiful, lovely, winter, sunny Ocala, Florida. And this is Max in pretty much the same. I mean, it is ridiculous weather for January here. And you are listening to the Viking Radio Show. Yes, Max. We've had a little mini heat wave this week, haven't we? Yeah, it's a little bit bizarre. I'm not going to complain about it, but it is a little tough for the horses when it's sort of 82 degrees, 84 degrees during the day when they're, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's been as high as 50 in, in the twenties at night. So it's uh, it's a little bit different, but I'm going to take it. Yeah, no, it is warm and um, we are going to have, uh, we're going to talk to Cat Hill about clipping and that's what we're all doing at the moment. And right now I think about half of mine are clipped. And so we've got some very woolly, sweaty horses in this little burst of hot weather. <laughs> And then some much more comfortable ones um, yep. around the place and things. So, yeah, no, but it's just that time of the year. We've had one competition last weekend at Majestic Oaks, which was a yes. fabulous competition. It was really and you awesome. you were busy was as. I was busy as. I had seven horses, and I was the first person in the ring. Yeah? Kicked it off ah, for 2000. First person yep. of 2020. Nice. First person down the center line of 2020, which was, um, I didn't even really think much about it until um, I um, watched the horse pesterer's video and he sort of reminded me. That's so that, that was pretty cool. That was, was pretty that cool. But Majestic Oaks looked. Well, actually, no. It was with um, with with Gort Glass Crazy Love, but oh, um, right. Clippy was there, and he he was the last horse of the day in the open prelim, and you know how much he loves it when there's no horses around. Oh, and I was starting yeah. to think that he was gonna, and he went out, and he was dopey, and he was quiet, and he was all nice and everything, and I thought any minute now he's gonna try and plant me like he what he likes to do um but he stayed dopey and quiet and he was just absolutely brilliant max he was just a, one of the best tests ever Good boy. he's 17 years Good old boy. now and i'm gonna i'm gonna hopefully think that he might be growing up but i know clippy pretty well and i'm not sure if he is i might have just got lucky but who knows who knows yeah, he's fab. Exactly. I know. I'm not going to hold my breath. But anyway, first first event of the season. Um, we're at some strong competition. I was up against Veronica and some other really top horses yeah. in the open prelim. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, Majestic Oaks looked absolutely a, a real picture, and they do it's a really, a great really venue. great job there. Yeah, yeah super nice um, people. We're very, very lucky. Yeah, and it's so close by. Yep. 
Well, that's why we entered so many horses, Max, because it's only like less than 15 minutes up the road. And so yeah. it just makes sense. You know, um, we can get a few of the young ones out that need doing and things. I was slightly nervous because I had quite a lot of horses to ride and not very much help. But I got two new girls from New Zealand come as working students for a little bit of time and they are awesome. And so I've got this team of really cool people at my barn and we've got lessons going on and horses being clipped and horses for sale and it's just awesome it's i'm all happening. just loving yeah. it yeah i know it's, it's good awesome. so yeah yeah no it's great um so how about you max what are you up to oh just you know freelancing and trying to pay the bills as it is yeah <laughs> things together just spent um uh, a couple days last week at the usef meeting down in west palm beach which was um wearing my hat as usca president down there which was good um some cool things they're trying to um do for the affiliates one thing that's actually really cool that people should look into starting february 1st they are going to be offering health insurance uh, to their members. And so it's basically, you know, designed for the small businesses, the people that have sort of two to three employees and, and you can get a, do some health insurance. And I, I'm, I may be wrong when I say this, but I think, I believe it's Aetna and, and that's, so it's a, it's a nationwide, a pretty good nationwide health insurance company. And that's, it's a big deal. I think that is going to be a pretty big game changer for, for equestrians because a lot of us don't, we still, it's like one of the the worst things having to do is to get health insurance, but it's one of those things we have to do, but my goodness, it's so expensive in this country. And I can say that to you because you know, you haven't had to ever pay for it before you got to this country. So it's, um, that's a really cool thing. It was really, really cool. And you know, some other good things that's happened that are happening, you know, just different. Um, yeah, that was, it was actually a pretty, pretty good meeting talking more about, um, you know, a coaching program throughout the entire, uh, USCF, as a whole, um, maybe doing something like that, that's, you know, a little bit geared more towards what other countries have done, um, not just for the specific, um, disciplines, but, but, a, a theory of coaching throughout, uh, with some, you know, some safety stuff, some sports psychology stuff and, and on like that very beginning stages, very, very beginning stages, but the thoughts are out there. And so that's pretty exciting too. So similar to ICP max. Well, not necessarily ICP. It's going to be that you would sort of stick it into through, you know, from the ICP would sort of be part of it um, because it would get oh, part of yeah. um, the affiliate. But to do a, a sort of more of a, of a broader coaching program uh, throughout all of USEF for all the breeds and disciplines, because there are so many out there, um, it'd be kind of a yeah. neat idea. Yeah. Yeah. As, well, so it, then you would the go to help- specific affiliate for, for more specific uh, instruction. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Okay. I get it. Yeah. Well, the health insurance sounds very exciting. I'm going to definitely look into that. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it's and and when you say when you say that I didn't have to pay for health insurance, you are absolutely right, Max. But I think I just want to mention it. You know, like slightly off the topic of horses, when you are when you do grow up in New Zealand, you can you can get a, an extra insurance if you want. It's just yeah. going to get you into the flashiest hospital. And you can also do that in Great Britain, at reasonably affordable. Um, if you want to go on yeah. the national health and have things paid for, um, you may have to wait a little bit longer um, for certain things, you know, tests and and stuff yeah. like that. And so, yeah, you, you get health care, but it 
um, it might not be as fast and as furious as what it can be here in the United States, although yeah, exactly. albeit exceptionally expensive. So yeah, no, oh, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. All right, and so yeah. you must be ge- you gearing up, Max. You how's how are things going at home? Scott got plenty of jumpers in and stuff, and is uh, yeah. at the show yep. this weekend. All is happening first first show this weekend. Um, uh, get the dust off for for everybody and. Um, see where we're going and hopefully it, it's a good year for for southern cross equestrian um they've got uh, some big plans but hopefully and hopefully everything will will go to according to plan uh which would be great and then of course we've got the eventing pre-invitational coming up on march 3rd at southern cross equestrian which is always a really large time it always is a good time, it's but, uh, fantastic yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we have it USEF sanctioned this year, so uh, we can op- we're opening it up to all countries, so we don't have to be limited to the four countries, which is really quite cool. Um, so that'll be fun yeah. too. Um, yeah, so that's all yep. very good. Yeah, very good. Well, it sounds yeah. like everything's rolling. I mean, it's been. Um, Christmas and New Year was fabulous down here in Ocala. Had my lovely children up, which was awesome. And um, they've gone back off to Barcelona, which is very sad. But now that they're big enough to fly on on their own, it's made life a whole lot better. Um, which is pretty cool. And, um, yeah, we're just getting kicking on to the rest of our season and it's starting to, to that, that time of the year. It's actually really funny, Max. Like, if things were a little bit quiet here, middle of December, and, and you get after New Year and the phone starts ringing and students start turning yeah. up and people wanting to yeah. buy a horse and things. <laughs> it, it all just exactly. sort of, it all just kicked into gear very, very fast, which is brilliant. So, yeah, yeah we've got yeah. lots of... Lots of really cool stuff coming up here in Ocala. We have like the um, jumper so series busy. at um, at Mardanza Mar and Frederick's Equestrian and um, yep. Notting Hill scrolling Stables dress and, shows and yeah, yeah, scrolling dressage cool. shows and and derbies at at Barnstable South and the USC is doing their ICP thing at Barnstable South and the Young Event Horse thing and oh, there's just so much happening. It's all go, which is just the yeah. way we like it. And speaking of all go, Max, we'd better get on with the rest of the show. And joining us now is part of the duo that is in uh, that is responsible for world class grooming. We've got Cat Hill with us. Welcome back to the show, Cat. Hello, thanks for having me. So we know you're sort of slugging it out up in in New York, where it's cold and. There's a lot of people that are up there, and there's a lot of people that are down in Florida or Aiken or some other places. And so, tis the season to be clipping, and then tis the season to be blanketing, too. So, listeners, we're going to try to get some tips of best practices for clipping, taking care of your clippers, how to get your horse ready, and how to keep your horse warm with our friend Kat. So, Kat... What's the biggest mistake? What do you, what do you, what do people need to know? So I think uh, there have to be two things that are the biggest mistake. One is clipping for aesthetics instead of clipping for care. So clipping to make a horse look a certain way instead of clipping because it's the right practice or health. And then two, which is piggybacks right on that is under blanketing um, or incorrectly blanketing horses that are clipped. Yeah, because um, we've just taken all of their natural protection away from them. So it's sort of, 
our duty if we're going to clip shave all their hair off we got to put it back on don't we we do and it's one of those things i always tell people that if if anybody has ever done activity outside you you first thing you do is you pile on 3000 clothes and then you go out in the cold and then you start doing stuff and you get warm and you take clothes off and through the day maybe it gets warmer and you take another layer off and we have this tendency to think with horses that we can clip them and then put one rug back uh, on but we've taken away their hair, which does a real job of thermoregulating through the day. And blankets and rugs, even the really best ones, don't do quite as good a job. So you kind of have to be willing to make changes as the, the weather and as their activity level goes up and down through the day or through the you know the weeks or months yeah. that they're and, clipped. Yeah, and so, like, you know, just a little bit, like, why, why, why do we clip our horses, too? I mean, I guess, like, the whole aesthetics thing people are like oh it looks better but really at the end of the day if, if the horse is in a very low amount of work and you're living in the north is do you have to clip your horse no so we actually have quite a few horses up north here that are not clipped that are in i call it hack work like trail riding a few days a week of really light work they might get like a bit damp but they never properly sweat and um, and those horses we don't clip, and several of them live out completely naked as long as they have running sheds or somewhere to get out of the wind if they're nice, beefy-bodied, um, solid sorts. Some of our horses, especially some of our thoroughbred horses up here, don't get clipped because they don't really ever grow enough hair. But even some of those that are in like pretty decent amounts of um, low-rate exercise, like our lesson horses, uh, our horses who are um, doing mostly walk trot. So even if they're getting worked five, six days a week, they're not doing any high intensity stuff. They'll have both be as hairy as can be and also be blanketed because they don't grow enough to really be protected. And then we, we always, my thought clipping is that you have to take as little off as possible. So the reason to clip is if you have a horse who is sweating regularly then that sweat can cause them to be really chilled. And yes. so you get a horse who who can, then can't cool off or who can't cool off without getting um, Cold. chilled yeah. and having a temperature drop. And then that's a struggle. And then the other big part of it is skin health. Yes. Um, when a horse is getting sweaty or when a horse is overly woolly and getting sweaty, um, even if they're not in work, if you're not able to get down and get their skin clean, then their skin can get all sorts of fungus and bacteria and it can just get like crusty rain rot crud. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah, (laughs) There's lots of reasons to, there's lots and lots of really good reasons to clip. It's just trying to be judicious about like, just if you do need to clip, do you need to do a full body clip? I very rarely take off legs up yeah. here in the north unless yeah. they're in a total show barn where they're outside for an hour a day and they have leg wraps on at night that, obviously that if you're going, going down my, my next thing i wanted to say because it's always the thing about whether you take the legs off or leave them on and um and the i i agree with you 100 percent. if you're in a show barn where the horse is going out are very very rare and they've got um when the horse is being washed off that they're drying legs as well and keeping the horse super clean then you're in a better situation and you can clip off the legs but if you know for for instance down here in florida and where i lived in england we always used to leave the legs on um for event horses i i guess it's probably 
I, I guess it's just fashion, really. It goes back to, to aesthetics, what you said to not do. But, I mean, um, I, I see show jumping horses all clip right out, um, legs and everything, and us eventers seem to just leave the legs on. And I just feel that it's easier to take care of them because they spend more time outside. I totally agree, Joe. And But don't you also feel like some of the um, clip it, like I think eventers like to leave for on – well, for protection when when we're booting them up to go cross country, you know that hair, yeah, totally gives them more protection than a naked leg when they're galloping through a cross country jump. You know, they're galloping through a water with sand and mud, getting up underneath their cross country boots because that's going to happen in their lives. A freshly clipped leg in Florida with a cross country boot on is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little horror story about a clipped leg, actually. And this is the, what happened to me. It was one of my horses, and we were in England, and my groom decided that she wanted to clip the horse's legs out, make him look super smart. We're going down to Portugal, okay? No problem. So we clipped his legs, but we did it two days before we left. Oh. And oh. and you, okay. Like, this is a live and learn thing, okay? But yep. I just thought I'd just tell the story. and I are like, oh. So, <laughs> right, so two days before we leave. And, and so when you're clipping a horse's leg, especially with the more old-fashioned large clippers, like some of the new ones are a little bit, you know, easier to work with, you will mm. often get a tiny little puncture wound or something or yep. a scrape that you cannot actually see with your own eyes like you, you don't even know that the horse has got it so off we truck down to portugal and we're down there and within the first week this horse's legs have blown up like absolute balloons because the tiny little cuts and the things got infected with the sand and 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 stuff down there the weather's beautiful there's no mud but just enough grit and stuff with the boots and it caused a real problem and I had to put him on some antibiotics and so I just wanted to share that with you all because that was my <laughs> live and learn horror story and I think and I think in hindsight if that was we were ever to do that again and we really really wanted to clip the horse's legs I would say a minimum of two weeks before you travel to um, a hotter place, like say if you were coming from the north down to Florida, I would say get it done early so that when you arrive, you're not going to end up with problems. Yeah, yeah. Or wait till you get down here to do it, I would say too, because it's, yeah. I don't know, I feel like it's a little tough. Or just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I will say, I, yeah. do, I do think there is. So I've had a couple of horses that I've cared for who get who have like really weird skin stuff um, and have to be clipped because they've had an infection of something or another. And I've learned to use the little clippers with, I actually use a seven blade. So even longer than the standard okay. 10 blade, it's yeah. a seven FC, it's for cats. And that way I can clip and medicate if I need to treat something without scalping them because I'm with you. I just think, man, you run the risk of those little microabrasions and of irritating. And if your clipper blades aren't pristine or like you said, if you use the big one, man, you're likely to, <laughs> to regret it. And have <laughs> <Yeah. stories. laughs> 
Oh my god! So yeah. let's. So can we can we go through down like systematically work work our way through what we're going to do to clip a horse? And I think the my my number one and this I don't know whether it works so much in the cold, but what we the first thing I do is um, work the horse and give it a really good shampoo, and that's either either like the day before or the morning before my clipping. Um, and I don't know what you guys think about that. So I, we struggle up here. A lot of the barns up here in New York, even if they've got hot water and a, and a hot drying room, it is hard to bathe a, a horse up here and not run the risk of a real chill. So I am a big believer in working them. I think you're absolutely right there. I think it clears out the pores. I try to get them like good and sweaty. And then I'll do a hot towel session with them with um, a wrung out towel and like rub them all over um, with just a little bit of a, like a cast style soap or a really gentle soap in it. Um, So it's barely got any soap in it. It's mostly water and I'll just rub them all over after they've had a really good work. And then um, I'm a big fan of spraying. If I can't bathe, spraying with the oil. Ideally, you're right on. Like a good sweaty workout, a proper shampoo the day before um, or the morning before, and then you clip in the afternoon or evening is ideal. Um, But I've learned since moving up north that not not everybody up here has that ability. So we do a really thorough cleaning with whatever tools you can, a dry shampoo can work, but you have to make sure you put an oil um, back yeah. over it because so the dry shampoo is a residue that gunks up your blades. Why don't you tell the listeners why we want to start with a clean horse? Uh, two reasons. Um, the reason you want to start with a clean horse is a because if you've got um, a dirty horse, then your blades are going to dull faster yeah. and <laughs> w- dull blades. Yeah. Yeah. are frustrating and you have to pay a lot of money. Two, you're going to have patches where the dirt is thick and where you end up with longer hair um, or shorter hair sections, even by a millimeter or two, what that then looks like is crap. It looks messy. It looks yeah. uneven. It looks like you went over with the lawnmower instead of having like a nice smooth shave job. <laughs> um, and the other big danger is heat. Any dirt that gets into your clipper blades causes your clipper blades to heat up. And if you don't notice that you, your clipper blades are heating up, you can burn the heck out of your horse. Yeah. And, and they get hot. Not, they get really they hot. They get and really I've, hot. And I've had so many people say to me, oh, this horse is really a terror to clip, and they're awful, and they're bad, and then I'll, I'll watch the people clip. I'll, you know, I'll be doing a training session with the people, and they're never putting the clippers on their hands to see um, if it's hot. And, man, I wouldn't want those things on my body. Um, yeah. So yeah. those are, well, you know, kind of the reasons for, for having it's a really easy, you know, it's, easy to, it's very easy to get carried away when you're clipping and forget to pull the hair off the air intake if you've got air, air cooled clippers as well. Yep. You know, um, and that, like, it, you're thinking, hang on a minute, and then you put your hand on the clipper blades and they're scalding hot and you've got a big pad of hair stuck on your, yeah. on your yeah. air intake. So, yeah. <laughs> and then you got to wait yeah. and all that and yeah blah 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 yep. blah, blah. Yeah. cat what do you what are your feet you, you obviously have clipped enough now and there's a thousand different types of clipper blades out there and clippers what are what's your favorite brand i love andy's um i used to use um the really big clippers for almost everything that i did 
And um, and then I started using the Andes with the T84s because they were a lot more portable. They were really easy to take places. And um, and they take a beating. <laughs> like as I think really what sold me on the whole company is that, I mean, I've, my Clippers, we do, we teach clinics now with them in our clinic. We have like four or five, six year olds clipping horses and the Clippers get thrown against the wall and bashed on and stepped on and they just keep running. <laughs> Yeah. And um and they've got really great customer support. And I really like the wide blades. I actually don't use the T eighty fours anymore as much. I really like their show edge ones, which are like out there almost they're only two millimeters narrower than the big monster clipper blades. Oh wow, um, okay. So you yeah. go Yeah, so I mean man, you can really go just as quickly through a horse and you don't get the risk fatigue. You don't get the air darts. I can't stand air cooled. Oh my God. The air cool. Cause have, if you wear oh. contact lenses, let me tell you, it is dreadful. Just like you might as well be blowing hair, hair, just straight in my face. Just bring it on. Exactly. And you know, I'm a chestnut mare at the soul. So my skin gets irritated. If you look that at it sideways, right. the clipping season is painful for me <laughs> to begin with. So then you get clipper hair darts getting thrown at you. And, uh, I'm a rashy mess. Um, yeah. So I like the Andes because they, they run really cool. They run for a really long time. Um, the the good old-fashioned, what are they, the AGCs are really kind of my go-to. Um, I get lucky because they're one of our sponsors, so they gave us the ones. They actually, we used them. And then because they saw us using them, they, you know, offered to, to sponsor us. And so they have a cordless version oh, um, nice. of their T84, which I actually body clip with, or their AGC, which I body clip with. Um, which and is so that's awesome like, then I just don't... for our listeners, that's sort of like the size of what we would call little clippers, wouldn't there? They're maybe just a little bit bigger than little clippers. Yeah, they're, they're sort of like a, mid, a mid-sized clipper because there's the adjustable blade clippers, which are finishing clippers. And those you can't really do um, too much no. with other than like at the show, fetlock ears, muzzle type stuff. Yeah. And then the next size up, which is what we would call, like us, I think professionals would call the little clippers because... There were, and they're the ones that have the clip-on blades, where you have to buy a different blade size, and they they clip on. Right. And um, and that's the size I'm talking about. I do have uh, a pair of really big, uh, I you know sort of where the livestock clippers, the old-fashioned clippers. Oh right. That yep. I use. Yeah, and I use those on horses that. Like I've got a couple of Frisians up here that grow like yak hair and I'll <laughs> yeah. use those on them yeah. because they're big enough to really power through. Um, but then, the part, then there's the people that sometimes don't realize that the little clippers, what we would the snap on little clippers um, have different numbers to their blades and yes. perhaps just grab a smaller blade and throw it onto the clippers and start clipping heads and legs. And <laughs> that can get quite <laughs> exciting too. <laughs> so a funny story was that we went to do a clinic uh, um, exposition. Emma and I traveled uh, with Katie Strickland as well to go up and do this clipping expo thing at um, the Midwest or the Midwest Equine Fair, one of those things. And we went and the, we were provided with horses that were personally owned that we were going to use as demos. And one of the horses that we were supposed to use, they were supposed to leave a patch on the hindquarters because we were doing like designs in the hindquarters and showing, you know, that and then the rest of them were supposed to be previously clipped, but she didn't know. And she had clipped with both 15 and 30s all over the entire horse. Oh, 
And so for and, our listeners, 30s is sort of what the surgeons use before they're going to do surgery on a horse. It sort of gets it right down. If you're going to stitch a horse with a cut, that's the <laughs> that's the number yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So the numbers, confusingly, the higher the number, the tighter the mm-hmm. cut, the shorter yes. the hair, yeah. the lower the number, the longer the hair. And so, yeah, so this horse had two very different clips and I, my, my talk turned into a talk about how to fix a, a clip job if you've made an error. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can only do so much when they've been uh, razor bladed with a yes. 30 all, exactly. at various points oh, all over them. Uh, but yeah, so I always, it's like measure twice, cut once, always yeah. double check your blades. Check twice before you put it on the horse's hair that you've got uh, you know, a deep enough blade on that you're not going to scalp them. And then, so what about after when you, um, you know, so you've got your horse and, you know, there obviously there's also two different types of clips. There's sort of what we would call like a trace clip, which just sort of does the neck and the belly. And then there's, you know, the blanket clip, which is usually not the legs and then a full clip, which is the legs and everything. And like, depending on what you're doing with your horse, that's sort of the best thing to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what, like up here, we tend to take off as little as possible as necessary. I think if you're down South, like you're more, you know, Aiken, Florida, down South like that for the winter, um, you know, a a blanket or, or full clip is more appropriate up here. It is rare that we have horses in work hard enough to warrant a full this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this heavy year, even a, even a full blanket clip, like the most that I'll do is I'll take off and do like a modified trace where their head and neck and belly are done. And then they have a large, almost like a quarter sheet where across uh, their thumb patch yeah. Yeah. Where, where their whole bottom and back are covered um, because it's just rare that we yeah. work really hard enough because you can be jumping and be pretty aggressive with your work up here and their butt doesn't get sweaty. <laughs> <They don't pickle. laughs> like, it's like people training for a marathon, you just don't sweat as much, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But once you get to a certain level of fitness, you know, there's like I, like I said, so, so yeah, it's, it's the activity level. And I always maintain that you, you can do more than one clip. So you can start with a trace clip and then work and say, Oh, my horse is still getting too hot and then take off their neck. You know, yeah. maybe you left yeah. most of the neck on, then you can take off the neck and then you can, you can always go back and blend those things in and reclip those sections. And you can always take care back off, but if you take off too much, you have to aggressively blanket like that aftercare is really important um, that, you know, if you're willing to put the time and effort in to blanket and wrap legs and do yeah. all that, then sure. Yeah. Yeah, more hair exactly. off. <laughs> yeah. So then when you're done, I mean, do you, cause a lot of times people, when they're done clipping and stuff like that, again, hot towel with a little baby oil to sort of help replace the oils. Yep. Is that something? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to do, um, a hot towel. I like to curry first, curry it all, curry as much as I can off. If I've got a horse who's sensitive, I will actually bathe, um, the clipper oil that we use on the blades that you have to use throughout your clipping, um, because the, the spray lubricant is a short-term coolant and lubricant. It doesn't actually oil your blades enough to keep them cool. So as you're clipping, you should be using a light clipper oil on the clippers themselves. And that oil can be really aggravating. Like what Joe is saying about the microabrasions, when you're clipping, you, you cut little, you have little teeny punctures, little teeny cuts. And some horses will get really irritated from that and get hivey, get 
itchy, get uncomfortable, get bald yeah. spots. So those ones I, I will try to like have a catalog or, or I'll guess that they might be like from knowing how sensitive they are through the rest of the year. And those ones I'll try to bathe or do a really aggressive curry and hot towel after. Um, but most of them I try to curry brush and then do a hot towel with a bit of oil. Um, I'm actually a big fan of the Shapley's light oil cause you can spray it on. So it's a little like, so I hot oh, towel nice. and then spray yeah. that on after. Okay. So it's, it's kind of nice to spray she get a little more even coverage. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and then, then with your clippers yourselves, <laughs> like taking care of your clippers. Yeah. So it's the biggest thing is to make sure that they're really properly oiled at all times to follow the manufacturer's suggestions as far as oil. And to remember, like, I think a lot of people get confused that they think the spray lubricant is all that they need to be spraying no. while they're clipping. Yeah. And that's yeah. not the case at all. Um, you really need to be using the drip-on oil, uh, the you know the, the oil that comes in little tubes or the little bottles versus the spray. And then after I've after I've clipped, I take off my clipper blades. I brush everything out really well. And then so I actually take off, brush everything out really well, and then run it through the cleaner, um, which is a it's a heavier oil basically and you you run the blades in it and then wipe them off for storage uh, teeny tiny pit marks of rust will create heat so if you're trying to reuse oh. your clipper blades through horses if you're only doing the light oil and you're not using the heavy duty oil in between it can cause your clippers to rust slightly which means that they're going dull without you ever actually using them oh um so That's I so always good. do the, yeah. the, yeah, which, which is a, is a waste of money. Right. So, yeah. so I'm a big fan of, of oiling them up and then I'll store them. Uh, I actually had a big, I had a problem last year in that uh, I did a bunch of clipping in the fall. We had a really, really wet fall up here. So I stored my clippers the way I usually do. And all of my blades rusted. Oh, um, so one of the things that I actually learned this fall, which goes to show you can never, be too old to learn. Never stop learning. Yes. <laughs> um, it's just, I save the little silica packets now that you get when you, you buy things, those oh, little right. gel dehydrants. Yep. Yep. And I keep them in my clipper case now. Um, so that moisture. If, yeah. So that yeah. if there's excess moisture that I don't realize, cause like they were in my barn and it just didn't occur to me that my barn had gotten that damp. Yeah. Um, you know, they weren't in an air conditioned tack room. They were in just a, a regular room. And so now I keep the, the, I think it's called like desiccant or silica, but I keep those packets scattered all through my clipper stuff <laughs> because I figured that if the blades are rusting, the motor might be as well. Um, right. So and just that's to, the expensive to, part of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Jeez. That's a lot. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, um, give us uh, quickly, because we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, blanketing, what are what are some of the biggest uh, mistakes you see in, in people deciding what kind of blankets to put on their horses? So I honestly, I see a lot. And I know that you ask 10 grooms and we'll all tell you a different answer as far as where to check your horse to see if they're warm enough. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I see a lot of people doing is sticking their hand, like kind of down the horse's neck of the blanket and checking like behind the shoulder area and saying, well, it feels warm in here. The horse is warm. But my take on that is if I were to take my hands and put them under your sweater, your body's going to feel warm even if you're freezing. <laughs> right. right. So 
I like to feel there around their ears and their legs. And if those feel the same temperature as the neck and body, then the horse is probably properly attired. If yeah. those feel significantly colder than under the blanket, then you probably need to add more blankets. Um, yeah. So I, I think the other big mistake people make is they think that a lightweight, like a, a sheet, a waterproof sheet that doesn't have fill in it is the same as a blanket. Um, oh, and yeah. horse, horses that don't have, you know, like even horses with wool, like those, the rain sheets are wonderful for doing just that, keeping the rain off them, but they provide little to no warmth. In fact, they actually kind of pack down. If horse does have a coat, they pack down the hair a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. And if they don't have a coat, they're really just a, a, a wind catcher, you know, like they're going to stop them from getting chilled it's, in a wind. Yeah. It's sort of more like a, it. yeah, like a shell, like if we were wearing a windproof shell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you really have to think about adding things on underneath. I'm a really big fan of some of the systems that are coming out that are like layered systems so that you yeah. can add. And it's, um, yeah, and it's, and it's affordable because to having lots of different blankets can, can be a bit um, expensive to, to be able to have to, yeah. you know, yeah, this and that and the next thing. And then you're like, oh my God, now I have like 17 blankets and which one do I put on? And, you know, then it gets so confusing. Yeah. And I, I actually, one of the things that I do up here is I have two cheap cotton sheets um, that every horse has that live next to their skin and I change them like underwear. So like every yeah. couple of days, yep. I mean, I yep. change my underwear I every day, but I my horses, the they get every couple thing. days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then um, they've always got something way, clean across their back and it's easy to clean. It's so much easier to wash a, a cotton sheet than it is to, to, to do a turnout sheet, isn't it? It is. And I also think we forget that like the horses secrete oil and that oil prevents the blankets from insulating properly. Yeah. So yeah. if you're not washing your blankets and you don't have a liner, then you're preventing the yeah. blanket from doing its job all the way. A dirty blanket isn't as warm as a clean one as much as yeah. we like to think it was. Yeah, exactly. So I, like to, I like to have underwear that I change out and then, yep. um, you know, whatever it is, whatever layer they need to wear. Like I'm looking out at my horses standing in my field and my, it's about 50 degrees right now with the sun and my 30, my 32 year old who is fully clipped because she's Cushing's and has to, has three blankets on right now. Um, the Shetland pony's naked and the draft mare cross that is partially clipped has a midway um, with a deck. So you know, a little bit so of even everything. though it's yeah. 50 degrees and, and sunny, like there's three different horses with in standing in the same field together with three different outfits on. Yeah. And um, in saying that too, there's also sometimes each horse runs differently too. I mean, there are some horses that just run warmer than others and some horses that will get colder quicker than others too. Oh, absolutely. And you, and you, and that's a little bit of you have to put your hands on your horse, not just yeah. have a chart that says at this temperature, put this weight on. That's why I'm always a little bit hesitant to say, oh, the horses should wear this or should wear that. Because so much of it depends on the horse. um, horses that are, are out of work. So this is a fun little horse fact that when we work horses, like you said um, about marathon runners, like when we're working horses, we're training their bodies to cool off fast. That's oh, interesting. what we need them to do. So biologically, that's what their bodies learn to do. Their their veins actually get larger. They get better at circul their um, circulatory system works better. Like there's all these things that happen when they're in regular work that they've studied. 
And when they're not in that work, those uh, blood vessels constrict. They actually get worse at cooling themselves off than horses who are in work. So horses that are tucked out in a field and not touched all winter are much better at keeping themselves warm than a horse who's in work and chucked out because their circulatory system is still geared um, for work, for movement. Totally if you look sense. at wild horses, they hardly move at all all winter. They stand in one spot, graze a teeny little bit, they, they slowly walk around, whereas you, you know, wild horses tend to play and run around and do stuff in the summer, and there's, there's reasons behind those things. Um, so making sure that you really are paying attention to the horse in front of you and what they, you know, a cold posture is a horse who's standing with their feet close together, with their back hunched up, with their head and neck low, with their butt to the wind, maybe trying to cuddle up against... Um, the barn, other horses, the hay rack for protection. Those horses are all horses that are trying to say, hey, I'm cold. <laughs> a horse who's rolling a bunch, who's maybe nipping at their blanket, who's drinking excessively. That's a horse who's saying, I'm hot. Yeah. Right? So you can't just go by the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to go out and touch them and look at them, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Awesome. Well, Kat, we're going to let you get back to it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and sharing some of your knowledge with us um, and our listeners and everything. And um, we'll hope to get you back on the show sometime soon. The Eventing Riders Association of North America is the collective voice of riders, equine professionals, and owners in pursuit of enhancing the growing sport of eventing in North America. In cooperation with our members, governing bodies, related committees, and organizers, ERA of NA works to improve the overall welfare, safety, visibility, and growth of the sport. ERA of NA, your voice matters for the sport of eventing. Jump in and engage by becoming a member today. Find them online at www.eraofna.com. Joining us now, we have New Zealand High Performance Manager for the Eventing New Zealand Team, Eventing Team of New Zealand, or whatever, we're struggling with the name a little bit at the moment, <laughs> um, and he's also our chef to keep, so he gets to go to all the cool big um, events all around the world. Graham Tom. Hi, Graham. How's it going? Thank you very much. It's going great. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, thank you for coming on the show, and um, we wanted to just talk about a bit about what's going on with Team New Zealand and Tokyo Olympics and things like that, and um, sort of a bit of a build-up. You don't have to give everything away. I'm not asking you to do that, but just like some of the things that are going on. And and you went to the test event, and so, I mean, we've had we've had some segments on the show about people that have been to the test event and things, but if you could just give us a bit of the rundown and, and, and what some of your experiences were about the test event to start with. Did anybody mention that it was hot there? (laughs) 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 Um, The test event was uh, fantastic. It was really good. It was um, incredibly well organized. I've been, I can't, um, I think I've been to five or six major games, including Pan Ams and, um, starting back in 2007. And I would say that this venue by far is the most advanced, uh, was the most advanced back in August, as far as construction, timeliness of completion, et cetera. It left no doubt in anybody's mind that it was going to be top notch facility finished and to a standard that will want to be emulated 
going forward. So that part of it was excellent. As uh, people have probably already spoken about, it's uh, going to be split between what's called the EQP, which is the equestrian park, and then Sea Forest. Equestrian park is where dressage and uh, show jumping will be held, and all the horses will be primarily stabled. And Sea Forest will be, for those who can remember back to Hong Kong in 2008, it will be similar in that the horses will ship the night before. Um, do the cross country and then ship back to the main facility the following day. Um, um, how far? We're going to have all of our that ship. Just uh, that's about uh, forty-five minutes, but it was forty-five minutes in August two thousand and nineteen traffic. So I think we're going to be planning on probably double that. And the horses will leave in two shifts: one at noon when the last set of uh, first set or the Horses that have already finished dressage will be taken over, and then a second set will go over around four in the afternoon once the lorries return. Um, and everything is being kind of managed and run by the Japanese Racing Association, the JRA. Uh, so they're all horse people, and um, and it's interesting to note that the EQP uh, is also known as the Badgy Cohen Park, which is where they held the 1964 Equestrian Olympics. So it's cool. kind of cool to be, Bit of be back in the same facility. Yeah. yeah. 55 years or 56 years later. Um, then actually they had a dinner in, in New Zealand recently, I think honoring uh, Sir Mark Todd and his retirement. And it was at a black gold uh, dinner, which is a separate conversation funding arm of ours. And uh, they had riders and athletes who had competed in the 64 Olympics uh, speak at the dinner. So that was a lot of very inspiring for a lot of people. That is cool. Wow. That is um, cool. So the other, I mean, the basic, the basics are the facilities are fantastic. Uh, the groom's quarters, which is always not always great. No, the Olympic games, they're typically, they're typically quite good, but uh some of the, well, some of the big great. American games they're have been right a on. They, yeah. Do they get, do they get the cardboard beds at the groom's quarters, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? You'd really would prefer to just have everybody stay. If they could have expanded the groom's quarters to include all the athletes, it would have been ideal because it's really nice. Man. It's all brand new and two-door room and excellent, beautiful, brand new showers and washer dryers and good, good eating facilities and food and beverages, they call it. So it's really fantastic and a two-minute walk to the stables. So that's that's really good. Um, it's a little tricky tonight. I mean, the logistics, the transportation is going to be an issue. Uh, the athlete village where we're going to be staying is probably 45 minutes to an hour. Um, the Then the distance from the main facility to see forest where the cross country is, is going to be tricky. And then the night of cross country, the grooms are being shuttled off sort of 30 minutes away. So those so, sorts of transportation logistics, yeah. um, they're going to allow one or two to stay, but they're not providing a setup like there was in Hong Kong. If you remember, they had yep. beautiful little, a little sort uh, of cubicles. Yeah. They were yeah. nice. They were nice. Um, anyway, so transportation is one thing, but again, everybody, you know, you, you worry about these things. And then when you get there, you realize that they've sorted 90% of it out. Um, and you just try to have the odd backup plan, probably a bicycle. 
Um, yep. <laughs> and and, um, and the only other real concern is the heat. And the heat is proper. I know we all went crazy about what the heat was going to be like at Tryon, and it turned out to be almost a non-event. And for people who are based here in Ocala, Florida, who are used to the summers, as Joe is and Max has been in the past, you know, you just get, you, you work around it, and we're going to work around it. And we're having an Olympic workshop uh, in a couple of weeks in the UK, and we'll be bringing in some heat specialists to talk to us and get us uh, set with the plans for acclimation, both for humans and for horses, um, best methods of cooling, and so on. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're ahead of it, and uh, I think it'll be fine. And I think the move that the FEI has made by changing the cross-country start time to 7.30 or 8 in the morning from 8.39 and finishing by 11, 11.30 is, uh, is really commendable. And I think it'll work out fantastically. And, and they've changed the distance on the cross-country course too, haven't they, from, from what a typical Olympic Games would be? Although I yeah, can't say that because the, typical and Olympic games aren't sort of going hand in hand much anymore, are they? Yeah, I know this uh, transformation of the sport that's happening in front of us is uh, interesting. Uh, the World Games in Tryon had a, the first 10-minute cross-country, like 6 to 10 minutes. Tokyo Games were doing exactly the same. After the test event and the heat studies that were done, they reduced it to 8 minutes. Uh, we don't know the exact layout of the course, obviously, and I'm as a course designer, Derek Grazia, I'm sure will still make it a very difficult one. Uh, it's a tricky distance because it's not a distance you run at that level ever. Um, if you're doing a short format, you're sort of six and a half minutes ish, and if you're doing a long, you're you know anywhere from ten to twelve. So it's a little bit trickier um as you prepare but i think we'll hopefully we'll get it figured out and have good luck on the day and make it work and you're gonna and it's a little bit of a, a, a course for the specific horse too it's it's a bit twisty from what the reports are that it could be quite twisty and, and um and quick um not unlike london a little bit was that way and hong kong certainly was that way i think those are good reference points and um Aachen um, would be an example too. It's um, it is twisty. It's got sort of I describe it as a a little bit of an octopus where you have the main body and then you have these tentacles that go off and create loops that leave in a path and then come back into the main main field. Uh, and I think that's how Derek has been able to create two or three distances without yanking out important sections you can just take one of these tentacles and chop it off if you will and then i got gotcha. if, if for some reason uh, there's like really really intense crazy heat you can sort of just take a take an arm off yeah so i think yeah. when they did made the decision to go from 10 to 8 i don't think that really made an impact on the degree of difficulty of the course i think that the the main complexes and where it's going to be tricky in that center section you know, will will hold true and will will stay stay the main focus. So it will be twisty turny. I mean, it certainly was at the test event, and that was just a uh, three star. Um, and yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be a challenge. I think time will be tough, 
and there's, it's not very hilly. The, the start of the cross country is a pull. It's a one minute. You basically hit your first minute mark at the top of a pull, which is significant coming out of a start box to have a yep. one minute uphill pull. Uh, and then I think at the one minute mark at the test event, anyway, you were jumping the third obstacle. So then you're, you know, then you're set and pretty much on the flat, except these tentacles go up little hills and just sort of little bit sprints up hills every now and then that'll cause horses to want to take a breath every couple hundred meters. Yeah, it'll be good. So, Graham, yes. Yeah. Can you run us a little bit through the rules? <laughs> we, we, we try and we try so hard to nut this out from time to time on this show. Okay. But it just seems so complicated. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You start with three. Okay. And but you jog up four. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so you start with three, you jog up four. Now, now, where does where does the reserve rider and horse operate from? That's my first question. They'll be on the venue, won't they? They should. They will be part of the team and stable with the team. Oh, I would have thought. Yeah. Yes, the 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 fourth horse. That's a good question because this has been very fluid and it's been changing every two months for the last two years. The fourth horse will be stabled with the three. So the let's just call the fourth horse the 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 reserve or the alternate. The whole purpose <laughs> of this new new format is to create more flags, more countries participating. So the number of competitors stays roughly the same. I think it's sixty five or sixty six for the Olympics, and it generally ends up being a little bit over eighty eighty five for the worlds because there are no limits for that. Um, and but by reducing the team size from four to three, you logically have more flags represented. Uh, and that's a fair, you know, that's a fair um, motivation. It's a fair goal because if you look back 40 years, only six teams have won medals at the Olympics, six or seven teams. So that's right. create more flags is, is a worthy endeavor. So yes to applauding, uh, bringing in more flags, but I think it's uh, uh, not the not the best development for our cross country. Yeah, I mean, course. I know you when you talk about bringing in more flags, I'm going to be really interested to see exactly how many more flags turn up because, I mean, for example, um, Brazil has not qualified. There's new rules now, by the way, to qualifying a team. The teams had to get qualified at the official qualifying events. The riders, so you can, like our uh, um, show jumping team is, it's qualified as a team, but you then have to make sure that you can have all your riders qualified. So it's an example. Right. The Pan American Games runs at, runs at a lower level, right? So you can get qualified, which is a three-star. You can get qualified for an Olympic berth at the Pan American Games, but that doesn't mean all your riders are qualified, are qualified. at the Olympic level. Yeah, because yeah. Because it's a force. It's a four star. So you've got your team spot by June 1st of 2020. That's how long you have to get riders qualified for the Olympic level, which as Joe mentioned is the four star long, four star short or a five star long. That's how you fill in the team. It's 
very confusing. <laughs> yeah. It, it it really is. Um and it's the strategy's gonna be able to do the numbers, I think. And know yes. what's going on. So um, you, can, you can see why the FBI was doing the idea of having the trying to get more countries in, but at the end of the day it is it's turned into something that is way more confusing and our it's hard enough to follow, and in the end, it's just making it harder to follow, I believe. Well, it's definitely harder to follow because you can't easily do a rolling uh, score count if yeah. you're sitting in the stands um, because you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, and, and you won't know until the next morning if you're a spectator that a team's standing could have changed with a horse being pulled out or something right. and a penalty right. being applied. Right. Um, so that Unless you have be... some inside scoop. Cool. Well, on that note, Graham, I'm going to say thank you very, very much for coming on our show. And it's been really, very interesting. Um, we really enjoy going through trying to figure out how it's all going to work. Um, and um, yeah, just a, another big thank you. So, Max, pretty interesting chatting with Graham about that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think anyone's going to have an idea of what really is going on? <laughs> it's just. <laughs> you know what? Graham is a very smart man, and he is completely yeah. in the loop with everything. And even he is a bit confused. So, I don't feel as bad anymore. Um, trying, you know, when we're trying to keep up with everything, because it it just is confusing, and it, I, unfortunately, I feel like it's an Olympic champion nowadays isn't going to be a true Olympic champion, if I say that correctly, because the Olympics are going to become um, a type of sport within itself, or a type of um, competition within itself, where it's you know, a little bit like a showcase where it's not going to actually be a true eventing champion, but it will be an Olympic eventing champion. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I so, mean, I think there's probably yeah. other sports out there that are sort of similar, but yeah. Um, like when you get like the rugby seven, you know, right? That's a little bit different than pure rugby. And yeah. Right. Yeah. But the difference is that, Rugby sevens is exciting to watch and we can follow it. Person runs over, puts yeah. the ball down, scores a try, gets points. I mean, it's, you know, right. whereas I suppose yeah. we just, and, and, and it's played so often that you can sort of get a handle on what's going on. This is sort of a one-off. I don't know. I'm sure by the time we get there, there's going to be, I'm sure by the time we get there, we're going to have it all figured out and it'll be like, you know, it'll be exciting. And, then, and at the end of the day, the dressage yeah. is still, everything's still the same, you know, there's still the yeah. same things that we love in the sport, like great dressage tests and great show cross country um, performances and things. Good the show jumping rounds. It's will all be exactly the same. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of a bit of a, yeah. Just something that we're going to have yeah. to get used to, I guess, Max. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Event Riders Association of North America podcast. You can learn more about Event Riders Association of North America at eraofna.com. 
for the links to today's guests and topics at eventingradio.com. Follow Eventing Radio on Facebook. Just search for Eventing, the Eventing Radio Show and on Twitter at Eventing Radio. Listen to Eventing Radio anytime with the Free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app search app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also subscribe via iTunes. This is Joe, and you can find me on my website, joemeyereventing.com. You can follow me on Twitter, joemeyereventr. You can find me on Instagram, joemeyereventing, and on Facebook, joemeyer. And this is Max, and you can find me on Facebook, Max Corcoran Horse Care, and you can find me on Instagram at MMC338. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.